Please pray with me. God, we have come tonight seeking you, and you have promised that you can be found. You will let yourself be found when we seek you. May your words this evening nourish us in the ways that we need. May it be your spirit who is speaking through me this evening. Open our minds, our ears, our hearts, and may each one of us gathered here, in person or online, receive from you exactly what it is that we most need. In your precious and powerful name, amen. As Lori reminded us at the start of this service, this is the final week in our Seeking Peace Together series. And this week, we're continuing our focus from last week on peace with creation. Specifically, this week's theme is rejoicing with creation. Or, as you might notice at the top of the bulletin, Peacemakers celebrate the beauty of the earth. And I admit, I initially found this a challenging theme to embrace at the end of November in Wisconsin. <laughs> now, during the summer, during the fall, yes, no problem. It feels easy here to celebrate Earth's beauty. But right now, when the days are short and still getting even shorter, when the temperatures are cold, on a day like today with snow turning into slush, and hardest of all for me, I know that we are just entering into what is going to be a long, long, long winter season. So right now, yeah, it's harder for me to feel the emotions that I associate with rejoicing or celebration. On top of that, the news this fall has been hard, especially the devastating, brutal violence in Palestine and Israel during these past seven weeks. It seems both more urgent and more challenging right now to talk about seeking peace. So I thought to myself, well, maybe I can give a reflection on hope instead. After all, this is, this is very in line with our scripture text tonight, Isaiah 55, which is the conclusion of what is often known as Deutero-Isaiah. In contrast to first Isaiah, or the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, which were addressed to the kingdom of Judah prior to the Babylonian exile, this portion of 2nd Isaiah, chapters 40 through 55, was written by a prophet living in exile in Babylon. 
addressing fellow deported people who were longing for their homeland. The prominent themes of Deutero-Isaiah are that of hope and consolation. The promise that the people's time of exile is coming to an end. And we can see this message of hope threaded throughout Isaiah 55. For example, the opening verses give us this beautiful invitation to come and be nourished by food and drink freely given. Come even if you don't have any money. Verse 6 gives us a call to seek the Lord immediately accompanied by assurance of God's mercy and pardon. And then the closing verses, we get this beautiful image of people being led through a wilderness that is bursting into song and bursting into new life. It is, if you will, a new exodus, returning the people to their home. As I sat with Isaiah 55 this week, I was struck by how much of this chapter is written in future tense verbs. You shall go out with joy. Mountains and hills will burst into song. At the time of the writing of this piece, the release from exile is not quite here yet, but it's envisioned, it's coming. And isn't this the essence of hope? A desire for something good and an expectation that this good thing will come to be. I've also been meditating much on hope this past week because my favorite story about hope comes from Palestine from an experience I had while I was working with CPT in the West Bank. I was leading a CPT delegation, which is an educational trip of about two weeks, a group of people, I don't remember how many there were, maybe a dozen, 15, and we were visiting Dehesha refugee camp in Bethlehem. Our host there, Atala, was a Palestinian who had grown up in Dehesha whose parents had grown up in Dehesha, and who was now raising his own children in this same refugee camp. Atala led us on a tour through the camp, and we heard from him about the challenges of daily life under military occupation, things like checkpoints and roadblocks and the challenges that these created in finding or in keeping work the difficulties in accessing medical care. As we went through the camp, we could see all around us the very visible signs of poverty and difficult life. And one delegate asked him, how do you maintain hope in the midst of this? Or do you? Do you even have hope? And Atala smiled and said, yes, we have hope. Of course we have hope. Otherwise, and then he broke off and he said, there is no otherwise. There is no otherwise. 
I think these words are one of the most profound expressions of hope that I have ever witnessed. They remind me that hope is not an emotion felt in response to external conditions or circumstances. Hope is a practice. It takes intention and effort, day after day. And even if the object of our hope is in the future tense, something we long for, something that hasn't yet come, the source of our hope and the actions of hope are very much present tense, very much about what we're doing here and now. So how do we go about practicing hope? In preparing for this reflection, I googled this question. I mean, what else am I going to do? It turns out there's quite a lot online about practicing hope. And as I read, I noticed a persistent theme, that the practice of hope is grounded in mindfulness, in paying attention. Paying attention both inwardly to ourselves, to our own bodies and our spirits, and outwardly to the people and the world around us. And so on this note, I want to offer two questions that I trust may help us to pay attention, to practice mindfulness, and therefore to live more fully into practicing hope. So my first question, what nourishes you? This question is inspired by the opening verses of Isaiah 55, this invitation to come and eat what is good rather than what doesn't satisfy. The image here is of nourishment in physical terms, and that is certainly worth paying attention to. But I also, and maybe especially, want to urge you to consider what nourishes your spirit? For me, a key answer to this question is the prayer partnership that I have with my friend Nanette. Nanette and I met in 2006 in seminary, and we connected through a shared love of prayer. We kept in touch after first I, then she graduated. And then a few years later, during my first year of PhD studies at Emory University, we started a Lenten practice of talking by phone each day to pray together. I was in Atlanta, she was in Chicago. And so we kept this up throughout the whole season of Lent. Easter came. By this point, we valued this daily practice of prayer so much that we just kept on going. It's now nearly 12 years later, and we still call each other several mornings a week to check in and to pray for and with each other. It's not every day, and sometimes it's just a very brief call. Sometimes we can't connect via a phone call, so we do an exchange of text messages. And what's so nourishing, I've found, is this persistent practice over time, again and again. 
the richness that comes from having journeyed so far together in prayer, building up this history and having, having seen each other grow and being able to remind each other of how far we've come. So that's something that nourishes me. What about you? What nourishes your spirit? For some of you, it may be, and I suspect this is true for some of you, spending time outdoors, walking or running or gardening or taking photos, connecting with the beauty of creation, even in late November. For some of you, it may be working with your hands, creating something beautiful, making art, making music. For some, it may be a daily quiet time with scripture and prayer. It may be connecting with people who are dear to you, or maybe combining the both of those. Whatever it is that nourishes you, it's important to recognize that so that you can give time and energy to what is truly nourishing instead of spending your labor or giving your time to what does not satisfy. We all know how easy it can be to fritter away time with leisure activities that don't actually replenish us. So it's essential to ask, what nourishes us? Because well-nourished spirits are better able to practice hope. And then the second question that I want to share with you is, what goodness have you been already experiencing? In some ways, this may seem similar to the first question, and very likely there is some overlap. But here the focus is really on pausing to pay attention to everyday experiences that make us grateful, that bring us joy. Returning to Isaiah 55, one of the images in this chapter that I find especially striking comes in verse 10. That image of rain and snow coming down from heaven to water the earth and make seeds grow. The image that Lori so wonderfully invited us to meditate on at the start of the service. And the image here in this chapter is a metaphor for how God's word bears fruit. It is also an image very much grounded in the reality of the land and the climate of the Middle East. Many of the months that I spent in Palestine as a CPTer occurred during the winter or the rainy season. That's about three months, four if they're lucky, when the land will receive all of the rain and on rare occasions snow, I witnessed that once, for the year. The CPT team that I worked with most of the time was in a very rural area, accompanying shepherds and farmers. And so I was keenly aware that how much precipitation was received during these few months of winter 
would then determine whether these Palestinian farmers and shepherds would experience drought or a good harvest. And I quickly learned rain is a blessing to be celebrated. Even in the moments when it is not that comfortable to experience. Even in moments when we're caught outside in the rain without rain gear, getting completely soaked, yes, that also happened to me. Even then, I learned the apt response to rain is, alhamdulillah, praise God. Likewise, we can practice hope by taking time to notice and celebrate goodness, even, and maybe especially, the small notes of everyday goodness, such as a tree full of brilliantly colored leaves, or the moment whew, when we make it to the bus stop on time to catch the bus, or maybe something that a child or a coworker said that made us smile or made us laugh. This kind of gratitude for everyday goodness, I believe, is the foundation for living into hope. And I think the reason that is so, the reason that gratitude kept showing up when I googled this question, how do I practice hope, is that a truly resilient hope is not simply putting on rose-colored glasses and pretending all is fine when it's not. Hope is not about being unduly optimistic and trying to ignore pain and suffering. Rather, genuine hope for the future requires that we acknowledge what is hard in the here and now and that we pause and take time to be mindful also of what is good, including through this long Wisconsin winter, delighting in the sunshine during those hours when the sun is still up and it's a bright day, or maybe bundling up to take a walk to the lake even if the temperatures are very cold. As we have been reminded, peacemakers celebrate the beauty of the earth. And part of that celebrating is pausing to look for it.